The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Plato once said, Those who are able to see beyond the shadows and lies of their culture will never be understood, let alone believed by the masses. And Nikola Tesla said, Today's scientists have submitted mathematics for experiments, and they wander off through equation after equation, and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. Science is usually systematically falsified for two quite distinct reasons. Firstly, as with history, it may be falsified for political expediency, that is, for the purpose of maintaining and propounding a false paradigm which supports the ongoing political agenda. But secondly, and most commonly, science is often falsified for financial gain, usually directly benefiting the ruling elite, corporatocracy, in some way. But how can this possibly be true? Surely there would be a huge number of people whistleblowing and exposing these perpetrators as the criminals and frauds they surely are. There are indeed a huge number of people aware of and attempting to expose the perpetrators. But as with anything else that contradicts an official diktat, the overwhelming power and influence of those in whose best interest it is to deceive us and who control most of the world, including the media and all its forms, ensures that only small snippets of information escape into the mainstream. However, this is more than enough to paint a picture of reality for those of us who are broadly aware of the ongoing deceit. And this allows us to expose the sordid truth embedded in all the many establishment lies we are able to dissect. There is far more to discover about our universe if we only would set ourselves free from the mental shackles of dogmatic, vested interest science as practiced today in our westernized, wholly materialistic culture, the mega-wealthy, all-powerful corporations with their scun-cult logos and ultra-slick marketing hype sell those idols and celebrities to worship instead, and slowly but surely bring the entire world under their influence while we tacitly believe their full science and not-so-subtle propaganda. We vote for their controlled politicians, read watch and listen to the lies and garbage emanating from the controlled media 24-7 by their heavily promoted, often useless products, gizmos, and gadgets, listen to their dreary, repetitive propaganda-filled satanic music, and watch their sick, dysfunctional TV and movies, and generally sacrifice our own souls upon the altar of materialism. And that is precisely the kind of world that suits their insidious agenda and why and how they're able to maintain control over all of our minds and spirits. If you want to learn more truth, stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. 
And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. John Hamer spent most of his working life as a corporate slave to the IT industry before, quote-unquote, seeing the light and finally escaping from the dreary, soul-destroying confines of the corporatocracy around 20 years ago. Since then, he has been a full-time professional, geopolitical researcher, analyst, and author, having written and published seven books to date. His first, The Falsification of History, was and continues to be a great success and established his reputation as a writer of real history as opposed to the usual lies we are fed by the corporate media in all its forms on a daily basis. His latest work, which will be the focus of tonight's interview, is titled The Falsification of Science, a sister volume to his first, The Falsification of History. It was published in February 2021. His website is falsificationofhistory.co.uk. John Hamer joins us from Preston, Lancashire, from Northwest England. Hello, John, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, Mel. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am doing great, and I just finished the book, and I uh, I was telling you offline in a good way. Every time I read a chapter, I was wondering. I, on purpose, did not read the index because I wanted to be surprised. And every time I would end a chapter, I was guessing, what is he going to discuss later? Very surprised to have somebody putting so many rabbit holes in one compilation. When and how did you discover that our history, and and that's a topic for another show because you wrote your first book years ago, The Falsification of History, but now we're discussing the latest book, The Falsification of Science. Tell me, how did you discover that our history and our science were falsified? Yeah, well, it's a very it's a very long story, and I'll, I'll try and condense it a little bit. Um, I think the, bit, the the main trigger, just to cut a quite a long story short, I think the main trigger was was nine eleven, which I guess was a lot of people's trigger too. Um, but slightly before then, two or three years before then, um, the death. John, you then, you get cut off. You get cut off for about ten seconds. By the way, if you want to repeat that again. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it, it, initially, it was it was it was the uh, the death of Princess Diana that that began my quest and sent me down a few rabbit holes. But it was really nine eleven that there was a, was the main trigger, and I think nine eleven was probably the trigger for quite a few people around that time. Um, you know, it, it just was so obvious to me as I sat and watched those those fake planes <laughs> entering the uh, the twin towers that things were not really as it seemed. And, and so that kind of set me off on my quest. And it was about only about two months after 9-11 that I was actually made redundant from my job in IT. And uh, I struggled to get another job. And so I kind of just fell into research and writing full time. Uh, so it, it really was a, a kind of an organic thing. And, and it, my research led me down all sorts of rabbit holes, to use the same phrase again. And eventually, those articles that I wrote as a result of my research, I kind of knitted them all together and made a book, which I call The Falsification of History. 
Um, and then the idea to write the falsification of science was maybe three, four years ago. I thought, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a sister volume to that and and, and look at more scientific aspects of, of the way that we've been deceived. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. And, and the falsification of science, which is my latest book, was published uh, last month, February. So um, it's it's fairly new. Congratulations. And by the way, 9-11 was my trigger to other things in the past, but that was one, the one yeah. that really just showed me because I, I always felt, well, you know, how what would a well-intentioned government do this to us? But then as I started yeah. falling deep into the rabbit hole and they did open a million other doors, I thought that, you know, 13, 14, now it's going to be 20 years this year that I would know more. But the more I look into it, the more questions I get. But just today, I heard from a listener, John, who said the biggest brick wall he has is, is his own family. He said, my parents don't have a computer, and the only information they get is from mainstream media. He was trying to give me, to tell them, a, you know, give them a different perspective, and all he got was everything you find on the internet is a lie. And as you say, he just wants to expose the perpetrators, but since it contradicts the official distat, it's an uphill battle for this young man, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we've probably all been there at some stage, Mel. I mean, I had a, an ongoing battle with my family and friends for, for many, many years. In fact, I was just telling someone the other day that at one point my family tried to get me to see a psychiatrist. I'm going back to kind of the early 2000s now, just after I, I kind of set off down this road. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that time, I didn't really know anyone else who felt the same way that I did. And I was just kind of overwhelmed by the flood of information. And I can only imagine what it's it's like to go back to that period in time now. And, and, you know, for people who are just experiencing that now, I think a lot of people are waking up now because of what's happening in the world with all this COVID nonsense. And uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people going through exactly those same emotions that I went through almost 20 years ago. And it's, it's not a fun place to be as you probably know yourself. Let me read this part. This is from, from the intro of your book, but I think it's important to read it. You say, quote, the quote-unquote scientific worldview is immensely influential because the sciences have been so successful in many respects. They touch all of our lives through technology and through modern medicine, although not always necessary, necessarily for the better. Our intellectual world has been transformed by an immense expansion of knowledge deep down into the most microscopic, microscopic particles of matter and far out into the vastness of space with hundreds of billions of galaxies in an ever-expanding universe. And I like how you put the last word allegedly. And, you know, this is just a, a preamble of what we expect today. But John, I remember going to Catholic school. It was very difficult to question anything because of the dogma. But shouldn't science be the opposite? It should welcome questions. And, and there's, you know, if there's a new evidence, science should, should change with it. But instead, it has become dogmatic. Is there a difference between religion and science these days? Since science today knows all the answers. The science is settled, as some people say. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a very good question, uh, and and it's an interesting debate as well. But I, I actually believe that um, what you alluded to there is, is absolutely the case, and science has just become another kind of quasi-religion, and it has, has its own adherence, just like uh, just like any any mainstream religion does, or just like any religion does, really. Uh, but science really is has become 
agenda driven. And and what I mean by that phrase is that it always follows the the current narrative or the political narrative. It's not about the quest for knowledge anymore. It's more about portraying a false impression of what the universe, the world is really like in order to perpetuate an agenda. And we're seeing that, you know, today with the COVID-19 stuff that's going on. We're seeing that that's an excellent example of of how that that kind of uh, paradigm is playing out, if you like. Uh, it's it's totally unscientific what they're doing, and science itself has just become a tool for the elites to keep us in this narrow little box of reality that they love to prescribe for us. So yeah, absolutely, it, it's nothing more than a religion, really. And I hope that my book has kind of um, open people's eyes to that that fact and and, and i have demonstrated in in many many of the chapters exactly how they've done that when i think of the word belief i think that term belongs more in religion that which cannot be proven and you say in actual fact the belief system that governs conventional scientific thinking is an act of faith grounded in 19th century ideology and why is yeah. science so dogmatic and assumptive and less scientific, John? I believe, Mel, that it's because uh, it's it's designed to fit the agenda of the power elite. Uh, they have an agenda to fulfill, which they set about mercil- mercilessly following. And in order to perpetuate that, they, uh, they, they create this false version of reality, both through history and specifically through science, which is what we're talking about at the moment, in order to to kind of present a, an illusion that what they are telling us, what they want us to believe, is actually true. But n- most of it, in fact, v- virtually none of it is what I would call real science. And you alluded to that at the begin- beginning there, where you said that um, real science should be about investigation and following the, you know, following the methods correctly and everything like that. But they don't they don't do that anymore, if they ever did. Uh, it's all about creating this false reality that we are being sucked into every day, uh, by mainly by the media, but by things like the internet, etc. So it, it's all false, and it's all a kind of uh, smoke and mirrors kind of operation to make us believe certain things that aren't true are true. What is the connection, if any, between this 19th century belief system we call science and the Freemasons? Well, the Freemasonry has been around a long time. Freemasonry was, was uh, I mean, there's a bit of a debate as to actually when it was first started. But I think the, the, ori- the origins of it were, I think, about 1717, so the very early 18th century. And again, it was intrinsically linked to something called the Royal Society, which which is a British institution. I mean, it's a worldwide institution, but it's based in Britain. And all its members, just virtually all its members are Freemasons. You know, the two are intrinsically linked. So Freemasonry and the Royal Society are intrinsically linked. And I'm I'm, uh, hopefully show in the book how Freemasonry has completely taken over science and therefore rendered it totally inaccurate, untruthful, unscientific, uh, as crazy as that, as that sounds to say that scientists is, science is unscientific, which it really is. But it's that 
Freemasonic influence over all aspects of science. And we're talking about medicine, about technology, about anything you care to name. They just kind of lull us into this false sense of security about what we believe and create, as I said before, they create this illusion of reality, which which isn't real at all. It's just a make-believe world that they've manufactured to fit their own, to, to suit their own ends and to control us. Because, you know, what this is what everything that happens today is all about. It's about control of populations. Science. You know, there, there are eight, and only 8 billion of us and only a few thousand of them. The only way they can control us is by deception. Well, exactly. And, you know, when we think of the advent of the Internet, you and I are probably, you know, this last generation where we had one foot before technology, before the Internet, and one after. A lot of the people who are born in the last what, 20 years, they've always had the Internet. Now they've always had cell phones. But in our times, we had to go to the library and we had to get all this information. Right now, with the advent of the Internet, every single thing whether it's true information or misinformation, is at our disposal. But you ask somebody questions, and they always have to depend on going to the Internet. So isn't this on purpose so that in the future, and we'll discuss this later, a book burning, the Library of Alexandria, and all that stuff, but isn't this on purpose so that in the future the curators, the official cultural editors, will be able to edit anything out that they don't want the population to, to, to know? Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that already, Mel, to be honest. Um, in fact, I was just having that discussion with somebody this morning, <laughs> quite by coincidence. And that is that, um, you know, the Internet is now being heavily censored, partly because of what's going on in the world right now. You know, they're not allowing anything that goes against the narrative to come through. But it's been a case of anything that denies the current agenda is now being slowly removed from the internet. I actually, when I was writing the book, I was writing my chapter on Flat Earth and I was doing some research on it. And I saved something like 24 URLs uh, of different websites to, to go back to at a later date. And a couple of months later, I went back to those 24 URLs and 22 of them were not there anymore. There were only two. And these were quite, you know, quite sort of uh, innocent type of things but but the real flat earth information had gone um you know why would that be you know i i asked myself that question and people other people should ask themselves that that question too um you know you know well, why do they remove these things from our view it's certainly not because they believe that we are being misled by them It's, it's quite the opposite, actually. They know that we're being educated by them. And this is what's happening, and, and I'm seeing it more and more and more as I, as I do my research. And obviously, I'm, I'm on the internet a lot of the time doing that. So it's, it's becoming more and more obvious to me that that is exactly what they're doing. And we'll discuss that later, because this is the most, yeah. I, I call it the most controversial topic that we discuss. But I'm always going to continue discussing it, uh, because yeah. so many people want to listen. But if anybody's out there who's, who's totally against flat earth, ask yourself this question. If the elite really thought this is just a bunch of mumbo jumbo, anybody who believes this is crazy, believe me, there will be thousands of websites to confuse people, to, to just continue the, the perpetuity of the, the, the globe earth. But instead, exactly. they're removing exactly. it. And that at yeah. least should make the, the bold earthers question 
that topic. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've just had a little situation this very week. I'm actually speaking at a conference in, uh, well, in England, uh, in the Midlands in England um, in July. And I've got four four topics that I'm covering. One of them is flat earth. And by the way, I am not totally died in the wool flat earther. I am just someone who's investigating it and playing devil's advocate about it and offering um, things that actually point towards that being the case. There is no proof of it, just as there's no proof of a globe earth. It's impossible to prove. There's only two ways you could prove the flat earth, and that is by going in a spaceship, if they exist, into outer space, if that exists, and actually looking down and seeing the ball earth. Or the other alternative would be to hire a ship, rent a ship of some kind, sail it down to Antarctica, and then follow the coastline of Antarctica all the way around it, without, with, but obviously first marking where you started from, if that's possible. But you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to sail a ship around the coast of Antarctica because there is all sorts of no-fly, no-sail zones around our yeah. Antarctica. Yeah. So that, to me, is very suspicious in, on its own. Um, I kind of forgotten the thread of where I was going with that. But, I, you know, I, I think I'm making the point that, um, that uh, yes, that was it. I was talking about the conference in July. Well, what happened was that the conference organizer actually contacted me uh, this morning, yesterday morning. I think it was, and said that someone, one of the other presenters, a truther, just like myself, just like yourself, had actually uh, said that he didn't want to present there because someone was there speaking about Flat Earth and he thinks that it's a psyop. Now, my view on that was, well, you know, we're supposed to be truthers. We're supposed to be open-minded. We're supposed to be looking at all different things. And all I'm doing is presenting an alternative viewpoint. And for someone who purports to be a truther, to actually turn around and say, I don't want to speak to the conference where somebody who's talking about flat earth, to me, that is just such a closed-minded, non-investigative attitude. And, you know, it just absolutely beggars belief to me. But, you know, each to their own, I guess. But uh, I really feel that as truthers, we should be open to everything. And that's and that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm not, I'm not saying to people, this is exactly how things are and you have to believe this i'm just presenting evidence for people and saying you know this is this is have you looked at things this way <coughs> excuse me <coughs> sorry about that um so you know the, this 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 is the way i believe things are or i i am ten, tending towards thinking that they are here are the facts you decide for yourself and that's always been my attitude well, let me just mention this. I'm not going to mention the name of the conference I attended years ago, but it was, let me just say, it's a conference for the open-minded. Free yes. your mind from all these shackles that we have. Great presenters from all over the world. And then a few people in the audience started saying, hey, why don't you also talk about the flat earth topic? And that was a no-no. He or them actually were frowned upon. And then during the lunch breaks, they would all get together in a corner and discuss it. And guess what? I went there just to see what they had to say. And I questioned the same thing. Why is it that all these people who talk about the, the ancient, the megalithic structures around the world, who a lot of these ancient ones believed that the earth was flat, that alone should make you wonder, 
Are you going to question the entire research because of that belief? And why is it wrong to bring this subject here? You're talking about no censorship, but you're censoring censoring that topic and calling it a psyop. You know what the psyop, I think, is? The psyop is, though they are saying that this is a psyop when they're questioning it, is the psyop, in my opinion. Yes, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, if, if you wear the badge of the truth movement, metaphorically speaking, then you should be an open-minded, individ- open-minded individual who's prepared to discuss and consider any possibility. Because, and that's what science should be about, Mel. It should be about discussion of anything whatsoever and free and open debate and absolutely not censorship. Well, we're going to discuss this much later because it all connects NASA, the Freemasons, and the rest of them. And it's all about observation. And when you observe, and we'll get talk about NASA later, but when you observe the alleged pictures of Earth, and you see it one decade and the next decade, you see the United States has gained weight and the other yes. continents have are, are smaller, well, at least you'd be able to question it and... You get all these people from NASA and the gatekeepers, but we'll talk about that later. Now, would you agree that science is for the material world or materialism and religion for the non-material world? But if that's the case, why are they both, at least one, why both behaving like dogmas? Um, Yeah, that's a good question again. I mean, it's obvious that they are because, you know... But again, I think it comes down to the fact that they they want us to have certain beliefs. They want us to believe that certain things that aren't true are real and certain things that are true aren't real. And that's because they want to they want to be the controllers of reality. They want us to have certain beliefs and certain views about certain topics because it suits their agenda. And their agenda is usually about two things. Number one, control. You know, it's, it's as I said it before, they, they need to be able to control us because 8 billion people are a, a very dangerous bunch if they all got their collective acts together. And it's also about money. And again, this is a, another really big factor. It's all about making money and they can make money through through propounding a false paradigm of reality. And, and they do that in many and various ways, most of which I try and cover in the book. Well, science explains how our brain functions. But can they pinpoint where our thoughts reside, our consciousness? And if they cannot, and religion really cannot explain that either, how can yeah. it be explained? Yeah, it, and it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting concept, actually. The the, the mind and where does it reside? Um, yeah, even even mainstream scientists are baffled by this. Uh, I mean, there's there's an example of this that I quote in the book, and that is of a of a guy. Uh, a little while ago who had had a serious accident and he lost something. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was it was more than half. It was kind of two-thirds of his, his brain matter had gone, totally gone. Um, uh, but it had not affected him. I mean, he had a, a fairly average IQ. He, he, he functioned normally. He, he wasn't missing any memories. So, I mean, what does that tell us? I mean, it tells us, to me, it says that the brain is a very, very mysterious piece of equipment, you know, the human brain. And, uh, you know, and it also tells me that we don't know everything that scientists purport to know about it. You know, they they come out with these glib statements about how it functions, but they don't really know. 
this is a problem, and this is a problem in general with science, that they do, they only very reluctantly admit to not knowing anything. There always has to be a theory. It's always a theory of this, a theory of evolution, a Big Bang theory, a globe Earth theory. It's never anything substantial at all, but it's presented as such. So it kind of kids the, the general population and, and the education system into perpetuating those myths as though these theories are actual facts. And that's how the whole thing operates. You know, that, that's how that, uh, that paradigm works, if you like. And here's a phrase we hear a lot lately throughout this pandemic. When anyone questions it, you hear the other side saying, believe in science. Isn't a belief <laughs> taking something as fact without investigation, which is the opposite of science? It's a it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Believe in science. I mean, you know, and and again, who defines what science is? I mean, the the whole thing is just a a crazy uh, it's a crazy conundrum. Really, it doesn't make any sense. Believe in science. You know, science is either fact or it isn't. Is not you know, belief shouldn't enter into it at all. I think that's what you're implying. Well, belief is the enemy of knowing, in my opinion. But if there is there any proof that life and mind can be explained by physics and chemistry alone? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is none whatsoever. Uh, they deceptively kind of try to make us believe that everything is mechanistic, everything is materialistic. There is nothing uh, spiritual. Anything spiritual is just a, a crazy, uh, a crazy idea from people who should know better, who are not scientifically trained. Blah 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 blah. You know, so it's all, again, it's all done in order to create their version of what they believe or what they want us to believe, which is, is obviously in 99% of cases, not the truth. Um, and again, I, I, I go into this in lots of detail in various different chapters of the book on different aspects of how that works and how that all hangs together. And you say this, you know, we're told by science that, 14 billion Earth years ago, there was, quote, unquote, nothing. And this nothing suddenly exploded in a, a big bang and created an, an unimaginably vast universe of billions of galaxies, stars, solar systems, and planets. And on many of these planets, including, of course, our own, live, gradually evolved, also from nothing and eventually produced sentient, allegedly, super-intelligent beings, which we refer to as the human race. But it, let's, let's start with the 14 billion why not yeah. 10? Why not 50? Why not, why not 100? Can, you ev can people even comprehend how they calculated that and how? Mm, no. <laughs> Again, there are, there are so many. Uh, it's just one of those things that's become a, it's an assumption that's become a fact. Someone at, at some stage must have calculated it, and goodness knows how that was calculated, because it certainly wasn't done scientifically. I think it was more likely done pseudo-scientifically. And, and what tends to happen is they kind of latch on to these. Again, it's a theory. They, they latch on to these theories and somehow they become an assumed fact. And, and so once that, that, that fact has established itself as being the de facto truth, and then from then on, everything else is kind of built around that to try to justify it. And they're constantly trying to fill in holes in different theories by coming up with even more and more outlandish theories. I call them logic patches. Um, 
to, to, to explain away any anomalies that the new additions to the theories might uh, create, because obviously there are so many holes, logical holes in everything, you know, whatever you care to name, evolution, Big Bang, whatever, so many holes in it, they have to keep creating these extra theories to fill the knowledge gap. They will never admit to not knowing. There always has to be uh, an answer for everything. But that answer is more often than not just extrapolated from either nothing or just completely made up. And 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 the thought process being that, oh, well, this will pacify them. This will keep them happy. This will keep them occupied. You know, it will shut them up for a while until they come up with the next objection. And then we'll, we'll have to think of something else to to block up that hole in the theory as well but but for now that will do that's fine we'll 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 fob them off with that and, and I, you know it sounds crazy but i really do believe that that is more or less how the thinking goes uh, <laughs> you know it's uh, it, it it's a very very deceptive world that we live in when i started this program years ago i started to, you know on the pursuit of the knowledge gap. There's a huge knowledge gap, but now I'm really focusing on the history gap. There's so much m missing history, probably hundreds, if not thousands of years that were erased from our history, and we'll get into that later. But what is your opinion about CERN? What do you think the real purpose is? Is it really in pursuit of proving the God particle and the Big Bang, or is it another black hole money pit like NASA? Yeah, I think there are there are several different elements to that. I think yes, it is a it is a black hole money pit like NASA. It obviously lines a lot of pockets and you know keeps a lot of people very rich and and in employment. Um, but that's kind of a glib answer in a way. But I think it's more to do with they are desperately trying to prove their theories about everything. They're desperately trying to prove them. I mean, to me, well, science should be, you know. You you investigate and then you deduce from those investigations and create a plausible answer. You don't come up with a theory. What they tend to do is they come up with a theory first, a theory which they pluck out of thin air because it suits their agenda, suits their narrative. And then they spend billions and billions of dollars and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of man hours trying to justify that theory, which to me is kind of put in the to use an expression, putting the cart before the horse. It's not really the way science should work. But, of course, you know, they, they don't care about that. They just want to create this illusion for us. And whatever it takes, uh, they don't care. They just do that. And, and that often involves, as I say, um, you know, coming up with first coming up with a theory and then trying to bend science to make that theory fit their agenda, if that all makes sense. Well, of course. And what was, most people think of the Big Bang Theory, I, I bet they think it was some scientist who came up with, with it, but it was, the theory was first proposed by, in 1927, by a Belgian Catholic priest, Abbe George Lemaitre, who was also a scientist. And then we think of St. Thomas, who always wanted proof. And the Vatican had to provide large sums of money to astrophysicists who adhere to this official story. Was this a way for the Catholic Church to create, quote unquote, that proof, creation out of nothing? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is exactly, they, they wanted to come up with a theory that would be acceptable to both science and religion. I, I, I genuinely believe that, Mel. 
and and this was one neat way of doing it because obviously the big bang you can actually um it, it you can reconcile it with the with you know the catholic god if you like um so it, it's no coincidence that as you say it was a it was a belgian catholic priest that actually came up with the idea and again i think it was a case of science latching onto that and going yeah that's great we can run with that that's that that's uh, you know that fits in with our our philosophies it fits in with the church's philosophies it just kind of ticks all the boxes so yeah let's run with that one and i really do believe that's exactly what they did and what they do in most other cases but again when you think about the big bang uh, just digress slightly here, but the, the, the Big Bang, it, it totally contradicts their own laws. It totally contradicts their own laws of physics. I mean, the first law of thermodynamics says that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. Yet here they are telling us that the Big Bang happened. And what happened was that nothing exploded and created a vast, an unimaginably vast, ever-expanding universe and the very fact that the universe is expanding constantly totally goes against the laws of physics as well. Because when there is an explosion of that kind, yes, it expands outwards, but then it begins to slow down. But according to them, this incredibly uh, vast, magical universe is still, is still expanding now after 14 and a half billion years. So, you know, the, the, there are so many contradictions but they don't need to explain them because because they just use uh, coercion, suggestion, repetition to kind of brainwashers and subduers into accepting what they tell us is fact when it's far from it. But this is why you have a globe in school, kindergarten, first grade. The first thing you see is that little ball right next to your teacher's desk, right? Yes, absolutely. Now, before I ask you the next question, let me say this. When I see so many minions or disciples of the scientific establishment defending the criminal and insidious mass prescription drugging of the population, vaccines, EMF radiation, GMOs, and geoengineering, almost as if somehow, somehow it exonerates fraud and misrepresentation, it begs the question, is today's science deployed as a weapon to serve insane agendas such as the eugenics-based programs of you know, sterilization and depopulation of quote-unquote undesirables, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they use science, not just for that, Mel, but, but for a lot of other, uh, you know, they put it to a lot of other uses too, but they definitely hide behind their fake science to justify all kinds of insidious agendas, such as you say, eugenics, uh, vaccinations, that kind of thing. You know, vac you know, the science of vaccination, the science of, of medicine, is just completely fake, just completely false. You know, the, 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 the whole science of medicine, if I may just di digress for a second, is, is based on something called germ theory, which was posited by a guy called Louis Pasteur, which some of the listeners, who some of the listeners may have heard of, probably learned about him in school. Now, he posited something called germ theory, which just very, very coincidentally and happily fitted in with the Rockefeller medical paradigm, you know, the allopathic medicine uh, medical paradigm. Uh, now, but pa the, the problem with that is germ theory, and which, of course, the whole COVID scam is based upon, because it would just fall apart without germ theory. Now, Pasteur, which a lot of people don't know, he actually denied germ theory towards the end of his life. He actually held his hands up and admitted that he was mistaken. 
and germs the germ theory is not responsible for disease germs are not responsible for disease germs are but viruses don't exist according to the opposite view of germ theory, which is called terrain theory, right. and which Pasteur absolutely subscribed to at the end of his life. And this this terrain theory was actually posited by a guy called Antoine Béchamp, who was a French scientist and who kind of worked for a while closely with Pasteur. And uh, they were at loggerheads for a while, but eventually Pasteur came around to Béchamp's way of thinking and agreed with him on terrain theory. Now, terrain theory, without going into too much scientific detail, uh, actually denies the existence of viruses as a particle which can be passed from person to person. Viruses exist within our own cells, and they are a reaction to disease. They're not a causation of disease. They are a reaction to it. So our body produces a virus when it is ill, when it is sick, and not because and not and virus is not the cause of that sickness it's a result of that sickness it's our body's way of actually flushing out all the the toxins and the waste from our cells and that is exactly what viruses are now this is this this theory is gaining a lot of traction just lately and more and more even mainstream scientists and doctors are now beginning to understand that this really is the case but of course the medical profession and the Rockefeller medical establishment, you know, the AMA, the BMA, the CDC, the WHO are fighting like crazy to keep this information away from the public because it destroys their entire profit stream. If this became, you know, if this became uh, popularized and well known and accepted, it would just completely destroy the pharmaceutical industry because the pharmaceutical industry is, is hell bent on protecting its its own profit streams, its own vast profit streams, by the way. And the only way they can do that is by propping up this insubstantial germ theory. And again, it's another example of a theory which is not proven. Of course. And if I have a if I have a fish bowl with a goldfish, I uh, and the the bowl is dirty and the fish is consequently sick, the medical industry tells me, give your fish medication, it'll get better. It never will. Yes. It will die eventually. But they don't want us Correct. to know that if we cleaned the water, the fish will get better. That, to me, is, if you had to distill it all in that analogy, that would be it. But, we are, you know, we are referred to as conspiracy theorists, probably you and I. I call it parapolitical researchers. But why is it that those who label us that, you know, that way, don't think for themselves or conduct their own investigation and, and blindly bow in reverence to these white-coated Priests of science. Yeah, good question. Um, I've I've given this a lot of thought actually, and, and I've discussed it with lots of my uh, peers, my colleagues, and the only conclusion that I can come to, and it and it sounds quite sounds a bit glib and a bit crazy. But the only conclusion I can come to, Mel, is that they're wired differently to us. And you know, I've looked at every aspect of this, trying to decide how and why people, some people, can see through this this fog of deception and, and understand exactly what's going on whilst others can't and I, yeah I'd, I don't believe it's to do with intelligence at all some of the most allegedly intelligent people just don't get it at all um, and yet some of the you know the, the most ordinary guys in the street you know the ordinary Joe in the street the, the guy next door they get it and you just think wow you know this guy is not very 
you know, I don't mean to be cruel to anyone, but it, it, this guy's not that particularly bright. He's got a very menial job. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, and yet he can see everything that's going on. And yet these so-called intelligent, highly paid scientists, doctors, you name it, um, captains of industry, just don't get it. And and you know, they it's it's a it's a puzzle to me. But so that's the only thing I actually come up with. And then that fact that is that our brains are somehow wired slightly different. Uh, it might be absolute nonsense, but uh, it, it, it's a puzzle. It really is a puzzle to me. So if science is settled, how can we trust it when it decrees with zero evidence that vaccines save lives, despite the fact that they you know, provably injure, paralyze, and kill with impunity? I mean, ask, as the people in India after this individual who behaves like a doctor and is practicing medicine without a license call Bill Gates of hell. And, um, you know, impunity is the big word, especially right now when every single vaccine, regardless of which company is producing it, it's exempted from liability, even though no one has been, you know, no, not a single vaccine has been approved and everybody thinks that it has. The media uses semantics to make people believe it's been approved, but it hasn't. There's a big difference between an emergency authorization and an approval. Why do you think so many people are jumping up and down to roll up their sleeve and, and get punctured? Um, it's fair. You know, I, I, again, it sounds like a glib answer, but I, I think the, that square box in the corner of most people's living rooms pumps out a, an endless diatribe of utter, utter uh, propaganda and vile lies masquerading as truth. And the purpose of that is to pump up the fear factor. Uh, people are getting the vaccine because they've been told that if they don't have the vaccine, then, you know, there's a very real danger that they're going to get this deadly disease. And you know what? You might even die from it. And that's why they're, they're inflating all the figures to, to, you know, increase the fear factor, increasing all the death figures, you know, lying about the actual uh uh, figures regarding the death—not just the death certificate, death statistics—but you know the, the actual percentage death from people who contract it as well. And these are all artificially inflated, and this, as I say, inflates the fear factor. Because I, I do believe that this is what all this COVID nonsense is about: is getting people to have the vaccines. Because we're talking about genocide here, Mel. Let's not put any finer point on it than that there are lots and lots of or there is lots and lots of evidence to say that what this is all about and of course mr gates our our, our lovely friend there in the states is you know is, is is widely known to be a eugenicist now I, I think people don't ask this question but they should why would someone who's so heavily into eugenics and whose father was one of the founders of the eugenics movement yeah uh, you know, be so benevolent in providing all these wonderful vaccines when what he's trying to do is self-admittedly reduce the population of the world. You know, somehow those two things don't quite hang together for me. I don't know about anyone else. You know, maybe uh, maybe I'm not looking at it right. You know, but it's um, it's a it's a bit of a mystery, is that one? I think. And he has said it publicly. This is no secret. He said it before that they, he wants to reduce the population fifty percent with the use of vaccines. And if that's the case, the first thing that you must ask, whether, you know, whether it's going to kill you, 
You know, those who are taking it, you're playing Russian roulette, but that is, you're an adult, go ahead and do it. But when it comes to the vaccine, if he wants to reduce the mole population, then you have to think of sterility. And this is one of the side effects of this vaccine. In a year or two, we'll find out. Those people that are going to get married and they're going to, you know, wonder, oh, why can't we have kids? Plausible deniability, just like what happened in the 1950s with the polio vaccine. So many hundreds of thousands of people developed cancer in the United States, but they couldn't really point the finger at the vaccine because it has happened, and it happened years later. So what happens if there's no long-term studies? How are we going to be able to point the finger, even though they're not liable, they absolutely have no, we have no legal recourse. What are we going to do in the future when half the population cannot procreate? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're absolutely right on that, Mel, too. That is a definite side effect. of, And of course, we keep calling them vaccines, but these COVID vaccines are not vaccines. No, gene all. therapy. Absolutely. And, you know, this is this is one thing that they are, you know, that people don't realize that it, it's not about inoculating you against the disease. Not that if you believe in terrain theory, that's possible anyway, but it's about uh, it's about changing the DNA. And it's about um, attempting to treat symptoms, not about preventing you from getting the disease. And again, that's what the, the medical profession and the and the pharmaceutical industry is all about. It's all about cure, not prevention, because their paradigm doesn't work with prevention. Then you know that's not a that's not a valid money making scheme at all. Prevention, but cure is, and that's what they're trying to do. But I think with with vaccine, I, I heard a. An interview with an, an American lady a few few days ago on a, on a British um, internet radio show, the Richie Allen show. I don't know if you've ever come across that one. Well, of course, he, he, yeah, he has some very good guests on, and I can't remember the lady's name now, uh, but she was very interesting. And 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 Richie actually asked her at one point. He said, "What's the, with the vaccines? What's the worst case scenario?" And she said, "The worst case scenario is that everyone who's had the vaccine will be dead in six months." And he said, and what's the best case scenario? She said, Every, everybody that's had the vaccine will be dead in four years. So just let that sink in. That's I'm not saying I know that that's going to be the case. Dr. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. It wasn't Sherry Tenpenny, actually. I know it was a lady called, the, the name has just come back to me, and it was a lady called, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it, it looks like Rima Labo. Huh, okay. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, but I, yeah, so you're right about Sherry Tempany as well. She, she says more or less exactly the same thing. I do, I do appreciate that. And there's also an Irish lady as well by the name of Dolores Cahill. Oh, yeah. Who, who, um, who, who you know, says exactly the same thing. So that is a very scary scenario. Um, I, I could, I'm not a scientist, even though I've written a book about falsification scientists. I don't profess to be a scientist. Uh, but I do do research and I do know what's what and I'm not a stupid person and I can work things out for myself. So, you know, the fact that I'm not a scientist doesn't make any difference at all as far as I'm concerned. It may do to some people, but not to me. But anyway, what the point I was making is I'm not a scientist, so I couldn't tell you whether what she said is valid or not. But if, if she is right, and she seems to be right about a lot of other things too, then that is a very, very scary scenario. And anyone out there who has had the vaccine, I'm sorry if I'm scaring you. I don't mean to. But this is how serious a situation we are in now. 
Well, we don't have to be rocket scientists to question why a rocket goes up and then it goes almost horizontal and we never see it going above a certain, you know what I mean. But I hate to say it, (laughs) I see so many people posting on social media, you know, I got my first dose, I got my second dose, and they include their little CDC certificate, like a diploma or, or an award, and they're all excited. So what do these people expect? Are we supposed to say thank you, lab rat, John? Yeah, well, exactly. It, it it has become kind of a badge of honor, hasn't it? Now, oh, I've had the vaccine, and you know, look what it, it's, it's almost like virtue signaling, isn't it? Oh, what a good person I am! Right, I've had the vaccine. I'm being I'm being kind. I'm being considerate. I'm protecting other people by getting my vaccine, protecting myself, but I'm protecting other people as well because that's that's what that uh, that tube in the corner of our living rooms tells us is the case and people believe it uh you know i've i mean i've written i've written about the effect that tv has on the mind and and tv has a very insidious uh influence on the brain i can't remember which which uh greek letter of waves it is alpha beta gamma i can't remember which one ones it is that it puts out but those 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 particular waves lull us into a false sense of security and make us more suggestible to information and this is obviously done deliberately and of course they use the you know the media that the visual media i.e tv is being used very very heavily to promote all this nonsense that's going on right now and everything else of course but this just happens to be the most pertinent thing that's going on at the moment so it's being used very very heavily at the moment to condition people to instill fear into them and to create this false reality of the fact that we're sitting in the middle of the worst pandemic that the world has ever seen. And it's all a complete load of utter, utter nonsense from start to finish, as you know. <laughs> I think the biggest concern I have it with this and, and, and all of it is the fact that most people don't question. For example, I think of Taiwan. How many deaths of COVID have they had? Almost none. And they're right next to China. And then you have Belarus, the country, that the president declined to receive billions of dollars from uh, the IMF uh, because they said, we're going to give you this, but you have to institute lockdowns and the whole thing that we're seeing throughout the world. And uh, Tanzania, another country, and the same thing, hardly any any deaths. And then you have other countries in Africa where they tested uh, a papa, a papaya, and uh, Coca-Cola all came out positive from the CPR, the PCR tests. So yes, why don't Tanzania. people just question, yeah. Tanzania, right? Why don't people just question all of this? Exactly. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but the president of Tanzania has now gone missing. Are you aware? Of oh that? no, I, I was not aware. I was, I was wondering if something was going to happen to to him. Yeah. Well, I think it probably has. Unfortunately, um, he's not been seen for quite a while. No one seems to know where he is, and apparently, the leader of the opposition is running the country or something. I don't, oh. I'm not sure. I've not looked into that in any great detail, but that's that's something I heard in passing the other day. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, March the 17th. I wouldn't doubt it if in a few days the news comes out saying that the president of Tanzania died of COVID or something related to COVID. Yes. Kind of to prove a point for any vocal world eater. The same thing goes for, I believe, is the the president of Madagascar. Yeah. But anyway, it would be really not surprising if, if he dies because the elite can't have a world eater Express himself or herself against 
the official narrative. That is very worrying, the fact that they can just disappear people if they don't fit in with their paradigm. Well, maybe look right. at all the alternative practitioners that are dying under mysterious circumstances for the past few years. I mean, hundreds of them. I think Big Pharma is probably the biggest revenue for the establishment, period. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, um, I did some research a few years ago, and that uncovered the fact that out of the top 10 corporate, sorry, out of the top 100 uh, financial entities in the world, only 49 of them were countries. So the top 10 richest financially rich organizations out of the top 100, only 49 were countries, 51 were corporations, and eight out of the top 10 were pharmaceutical companies. <sighs> so <laughs> that is some staggering, staggering amounts of money we're talking about there. We're talking trillions of dollars, obviously, you know. And let's, let's not talk about all these uh, nonprofit organizations. You probably have that in the UK too. The, the Yellow Ribbon, the March for the Cure, Breast Cancer Awareness, all the, the, the muscular dystrophy that we have here. You know, when I realized that all their managers make hundreds of thousands of dollars in bonuses, do you really think that any of those entities, not quote-unquote nonprofit, do you think they really want to find a cure? Mm, no. <laughs> no. Um, you know, he's specifically talking about uh, charities, you know, the, the, the medical charities, or have I misunderstood? Say, say again. Sorry. Um, well, are you talking about NGOs, did you say? Well, no, no. no. I'm talking about nonprofit organizations. Like oh, the, okay, right, right. You know, all these companies that want to collect money so we can find the cure for cancer, of AIDS, of, you know, uh, heart disease. And they just make millions of dollars every year of donations. Yeah. And you think that the CEO and all those managers that they have – that yeah. they would like to find a cure when that means no. their job is uh, done? Yeah, I mean, well, it's kind of like uh, Turkey's voting for Christmas, isn't it? You know, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you're just voting for your own demise, really, aren't you, if you do something like that? They exist, you know, to, to perpetuate the, um, the salaries, the, you know, the, the expansive salaries of the people who, who run the damn thing. And, and it's, not, uh, it's not really about about creating any cures for anything, just as the cancer industry is a complete fraud as well. You know, the cancer research industry is a complete fraud. Uh, all the money that gets sunk into cancer, and yet they don't even, they, they, they refuse to investigate natural cures for cancer, which of, of which there are several, and which a lot of them are very effective. But they don't want that because cancer is a multi-trillion dollar, dollar industry, yeah. as you know, Mal. They don't want a cure because it, it, it cuts off the gravy train to a very lot of people, you know, a lot of very lot of high powered rich people depend on these things uh, for their livelihoods, for their continuing livelihoods. And they don't want to, to lose those livelihoods, which they would do if, if a cure was found. I mean, it's so obvious when you think about it, you know, why, why would anyone within that industry want to cure what is keeping that industry going? I mean, it, it it's just, I mean, the whole the whole concept is just crazy. It's a total paradox. I think it's any entity. I mean, look at government. The government, at least here in the United States, it was formed to protect us from foreign their enemies, foreign and domestic. That's it. But they have yeah. grown like a hydra, and they grow more and more and more, and they never get smaller. And the more they expand, 
the more they tax us and the more uh, dictatorial they become. That's just the, the, the nature of a corporation. Yes, it is. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, governments are, again, they're, they're kind of a self-fulfilling entity, aren't they? A self-perpetuating entity. You know, the, the governments were originally designed to be by the people and for the people, as the saying goes. But they're not. I mean, they're, they're the exact antithesis of that. They're the exact opposite of that. Um, you know, as we know, governments don't exist to to um, to aid the people in any way. The governments only exist to perpetuate those in power, you know, the, the, the power trips that they're on, and to suppress the people and to keep us in our place. And that's all part of the, the bigger picture, you know, the big paradigm, the, the whole the whole great big jigsaw puzzle of reality that um, once you start to put the puzzles pieces into place, you know, everything kind of becomes apparent and the picture becomes clear, just like when, you, when you're when you doing a, a jigsaw puzzle for real. I think, uh, thanks. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, again, it's all, it's all linked. Everything's intrinsically linked. And, uh, yeah. I think governments are there to legalize uh, crimes, for example. If you and I, we had a project and we needed more money, but we don't have it, and we decided to just, uh, you know, Use our printers, our color printers to print money. That would be a crime, right? But when governments want to go to war, they go to the Federal Reserve, it's no money, and they print all that. So it's legalized counterfeit. So the government can do a lot of that stuff. It's legalizing certain crimes. But, you know, we obviously know that science is profit-focused. If that's the case, we'll never get real answers and the truth. But what about these uh, groups? I mean, when you quote a something they say well has it been peer reviewed oh, right. what about peer reviewed process is there fraud nepotism and, and cronism involved in peer review process yeah i mean it's a, it's a good point because peer review is actually one of the the main postulates of science you know they say oh everything has to be peer reviewed as though this is some kind of magical process that proves that whatever you know has, has been created or been theorized of and postulated is is actual fact somehow if it passes the peer review process then it must be genuine it must be a you know it's 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 perfectly sensible reasonable safe all the good adjectives that you want to add to it it fit fit fulfills all those criteria if it's gone through this peer review process but the peer review process is just a complete nonsense as you say it's subject to nepotism all that happens is with the peer review process is that someone, the editor of a magazine, uh, you know, such as the, you know, the medical journals, for example, if there is a, uh, if someone puts forward a paper uh, to be accepted by these journals, which have a very huge say, by the way, in, in what is accepted as genuine science and what isn't, if someone puts forward a paper, then the editor of that magazine uh, will take. Uh, we'll call a, a couple of friends who, you know, may be quite influ- influential, influential in that particular branch of science, and we'll say, "I've got this paper. Would you mind looking it over and and just giving me your opinion of it?" And they'll give it a cursory look over, and they'll either say, "Yeah, that's fine. That makes sense." Or, "Nah, I don't like that." Um, and it will be either, uh, you know, accepted or declined on that basis. And if and if and if there are, two, if, if, if for example, two people, one says yes and one says no, it'll just give it to a third person for a 
put a third opinion. And then whichever way that vote goes, then it'll either be accepted or declined for publication. And if it's declined publication in one particular journal, medical journal or scientific journal or whatever, then it, it, it will find it very difficult to gain traction in any, any of the others. And all this is just based upon, as you say, that, that that's the word, nepotism and just people's individual opinions, which may not even be scientific at all it's just a cursory nod or a cursory shake of the head basically based on people's own opinions and also of course that that then becomes subject to fraud in the sense that if if this invention this discovery whatever it is this paper that's 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 seeking publication goes against the best interests of one of the people who peer reviews it they're very likely to say no on the basis that if that was approved for manufacture or 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 whatever production then it would eat into their that person's profits so they're going to turn it down aren't they it's it's, it's a it, it it just makes a whole mockery of science and it's just one other element of the way that science is used and abused for profits so yeah absolutely peer review is absolutely no basis for any kind of science whatsoever and yet it is an integral part of it unfortunately by the way, I'm glad you devoted a portion of your book to cultural Marxism, which is becoming so pervasive, prevalent these days. Is there a connection between cultural Marxism and the falsification of science? Uh, there's a connection in the sense that they use cultural Marxism to perpetuate the falsification of science. I wouldn't say it's it's a, it's the, the only driving factor, but... For anyone who doesn't understand what cultural Marxism is, let me just kind of explain that, if I may. Just take a minute to explain that. Cultural Marxism is the slow but inexorable process that we're going through at the moment, turning our society into a communist society. And I, and I don't use that word lightly at all. You know, Marxism has obviously equates to communism. And the way society is heading at the moment, we're heading towards a communist state, just like there is in China, just like there was in the Soviet Union. It's going to be no different to that, folks. Honestly, this is what is happening right before our eyes. And it's very insidious and it's happening slowly in tiny baby steps, but it's coming to a country near you very, very soon. And what cultural march, march, the cultural aspect of Marxism, as opposed to the political aspect of it, is things like, for example, um, not being able to speak our mind for being a fear of being labelled either as a misogynist, a racist, um, a sexist, any other kind of ism that you think you know you could have a label applied to you is used to prevent free speech, and that's what cultural Marxism is all about: preventing free speech. And of course, free speech prevents us from speaking out against the things that the people who are perpetuating this are doing to us and doing to our society and doing to our children, uh, you know, some of which is, is really horrendous stuff. So it's that cultural Marxist aspect of everything that is preventing us. It's taking away our freedom of speech. Uh, you know, I'm sure everybody is noticing that at the moment that, for example, uh, on the media, in the media, you're not allowed to say anything at all now that goes against any tiny aspect of the agenda. 
Uh, and if you do, there is a label for you. Have no fear. There was, there's a ready off-the-shelf label for you. You're a racist. You're a homophobe. You're a you're a mis- misogynist. Yeah, you're an anti-Semite. Whatever. You know, there's a ready-made off-the-shelf label, and that is all through the insidious onset of cultural Marxism. And they're using that to perpetuate that falsification of science, and that's the connection. We're going to talk about this more in part part two, but a okay. last question before we take a break. Going back to NASA, which uh, has an annual budget of $15 billion and has openly stated that it simply will not fund any cosmological research that is adverse to the Big Bang theory. <laughs> but if NASA oh, yeah. is all about science and the Big Bang is just a theory, isn't this offering religious devotion to it? Isn't that contradictory? Of course it is. I mean, my question to NASA would be, if they were here debating with me right now, would be, well, why won't you? Why won't you look at other aspects? Isn't that what science is supposed to be? Isn't it supposed to be kind of like investigative journalism? You know, a parallel to that. Are we not supposed to examine examine other possibilities and not just completely strike them away and say, I'm sorry, but we're not even going to go that way? Isn't that what science is meant to be? Aren't we supposed to be inquiring, inquisitive people who want to know the truth instead of the truth being suppressed, which it is currently? And that is exactly the basis on which all science operates. And NASA is no different to that, of course. You know, they, they, as you said, rightly, they won't countenance any debate about anything that falls outside the Big Bang Theory. People need to ask themselves why that is. So if you doubt the Big Bang, you can be fired or you might lose your funding. And, you know, of course, does NASA or mainstream science study the electric universe or plasma cosmology? We'll get the answer on the other side. We're going to talk evolution. We're going to talk about ancient technology. We're going to talk about the fact that people think, oh, our ancestors had less brain activity, less IQ than we do now. Uh, however, we see all these megalithic structures that some people say aliens created. And I've always said that's uh, it's trying to distract us from the reality of what we had before. We had the Antikythera mechanism. We had ancient astronomy. We had so many things in the past that we cannot even come close today. That's why I keep saying my biggest interest is that gap of history. What happened in the middle? And of course, you add dinosaurs to that to that equation and the fact that they don't talk about giants, human giants, but they talk about dinosaurs. All of this when we come back. How can people buy the book, John? All of both books, actually, and all your other books. Okay, well, um, my main site is amazon.co.uk.co.uk, but obviously for American listeners, then amazon.com, I'm on there too. <clears throat> uh, so it's just a case of going on, on amazon.com and basically keying my name into the search bar at the top, John Hamer, H-A-M-E-R, and my author page will uh, appear and all of my seven books are on there. Wonderful. Folks, don't go anywhere. I have John Hamer from the UK with me today, and we have much more and deeper when we come back. This is Mel Hasselrich, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. 
We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.